Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so good to see y'all this morning. Love that we are here together. Bless you. So I spend every Sunday morning at a coffee shop just to kind of have some time to gather my thoughts and, and kind of be, you know, be ready for the morning. And, and if you don't know, I was thinking this morning as I was there, I was like, you know, they're, they're really, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. And it was those who like coffee and those who don't. Like, I just, like, it's that important. You know, and I think there's a few categories like that for me, like those who like coffee, those who don't, those who like dogs, those who don't. Those who like the movie The Matrix, only the first one, and those who don't. Um, but, but thinking of where we're at, last week as we finished Romans uh, 8, 1 through 4, looking at verse 4, we saw Paul give us this, this clear identity statement. And, and you know, we saw it, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law, that it might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, we see these two these two identity statements of people, those who walk according to the flesh, those who walk according to the Spirit. Today, he continues in that thought, showing us that there are only th- these two types of people in the world. Those who walk according to the flesh and therefore set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who walk according to the Spirit and therefore set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We all, we all, unlike my categories it doesn't matter if we all fit in these categories. These categories, it matters, and every one of us fits in one of these two categories. Um, so, thinking about this, as we work through this today, we'll see Paul contrasting these two, these two categories, these two states of being, these two identities, these two, these two mindsets. Um, so, what's, what's Paul's concern in us understanding this? Why does he feel a need to address this, and we are just jumping in because it's, it's just great and we have a lot to cover. But, but what is his concern today? Last week, as we looked at Romans 8.1, he, he made this amazing proclamation over us. And again, it's not Paul's statement. It was, it was Paul's communicating the beauty of the truth of God expressed in Christ. And it was this statement that there is there. And if you know it, say it with me. How about that? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I only say that because we probably said it 20 times last week. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we had this amazing proclamation over us Last week, over the over those that are in Christ, Paul was reminding us that that judicially, that you know, in our guilt or innocence, and positionally before a holy God, that we are righteous. We're made right before a holy God because of the righteousness of Jesus that was credited, that was given to you and me, and that we can. And if that is true, then we can never. This is what we said last week. We can never ever again, be under condemnation. And we just marveled at the absoluteness of that beautiful promise that there is therefore now no condemnation. You cannot enter back into it if that work of Christ has been done in you. So today, Paul's focused, so that that was our position last week, our standing before God. Today, as we continue, Paul's continuing this thought, he's focused more on our personal experience and expression of that freedom. So today you'll hear me say a few things like the beginning of the experience. Now I'm not talking about our way of experiencing, our way to reside in that promise, because again, that's achieved in the work of Christ, but we're talking about our, 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 our recognizing it, our experiencing it, our feeling it, our, 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 our knowing it with confidence. That's what we're talking about today. So Paul's focused more on our personal experience and expression of that freedom. 
of the life that is lived according to the Spirit. This passage is concerned with us experiencing freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. What a glorious thing. Sin is not just some trivial moral code as we think of it. You know, sometimes when we see that, when we think of freedom from sin, we just kind of go to this diminished view of what sin is, and it's just a way to live, and it's what we do and what we don't do. It's, it's much more than that when we're talking about this. It's the very, th- when we think of sin, it is the very thing that maligns, it burdens our conscience as we were all created by God with a sense of His right and wrong as we saw back in Romans 1. Sin is what burdens and breaks our relationships. All relationships. It breaks our relationships with one another. It breaks our relationships with creation. And most importantly, it it severs our relationship with our holy God. Sin is what hinders our sense of joy and purpose in this life. And so what a kindness that, that, that as God gives us these commands of a way to life, His, his motivation is, is, is that we would be free. His motivation is that we would know His goodness. His motivation is that, yes, He would be glorified. He is glorified through our enjoyment of Him. It's, you know, it's Piper's great statement, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So that's why it matters that we would experience freedom from sin. We've been liberated from sin, the power and the penalty of sin by Jesus, but now it's about us experiencing it. Christ has set us free. We are free indeed. And now Paul wants to teach us how to live in that freedom, to live out that freedom. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We're going to be looking at verses 5-13. through 13. Uh, It'll be on the screens as well. Uh, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on the More, uh, go to Events, and then you'll see us pop up. You can follow there. And if you, uh, there's also some Bibles on the floor near you, and you can turn to Romans 8 there. And if you need a Bible, uh, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. Okay, so Romans 8, 5-13 through 13 is where we will be today. Let me pray for us before we go any farther. Um, God, I'm humbled by your love. I'm humbled by your grace. Lord, you you called us to be holy. You created us to be holy in your image. And Lord, as we sinned against you, we marred that image, we marred that standing, we marred that expression. And Lord, as a holy, just God, you had every right just to, to drop your wrath on us. And although our sin brings consequence and your great love, what we see is you were moved with great compassion to restore us. Restore us, re- relieving our sin debt as Jesus took that on in his death. Giving us a victorious life as Jesus brought us into that victorious life as he was raised, we are raised. And Lord, and it's not just that now we are left to just work and be holy. But Lord, you have made us holy, so now you're inviting us into experiencing this wholeness. You're inviting us into experiencing this freedom, inviting us into experiencing the victorious life because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And so as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would just just take that truth, Lord, and, and just wash it over our hearts and our minds. Lord, take that truth and liberate us, Lord, to, to see that we are free indeed in Christ. And Lord, you are showing us how we can actually live free. And you're defining that freedom. So Lord, we come to your word now humble and hungry. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would catch these words of flame today in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read these first three verses, four verses, five through eight, and, um, and we'll see. Let me take a sip. Mm. Okay, so Romans 8, 5 through 8 says this. Read along with me. It says, for those, and again, let's, sorry, pause, just remembering the statement that was just made, right? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That was an identity statement. It was saying, you are in the, you have the Holy Spirit because the work of Christ is done in you, so therefore you walk by the Spirit. To not, to walk by the flesh is to be outside of Christ. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that's what I do, I guess. So here we go, Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as we've already said, verse 5 continues to, to bring us to these two categories, these two kinds of people. Those who live according to the flesh and therefore set their minds on the things of the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit and therefore set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul tells us our freedom from sin, experiencing this freedom of sin, starts with what we set our minds on setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. So if we want to experience this freedom, it matters. Everybody minds something. Everybody, everybody's mind is, is, is concerned with, is consistently overtaken with the thoughts of. Everybody's mind is preoccupied with something. And so Paul's saying, set your mind, be, be preoccupied, be overtaken and consumed with the things of the Spirit. The, the Spirit... When you see this, it is to say that we are preoccupied with the same things that preoccupy the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit's concern? It is the glory of God. The Holy Spirit's concern, remember what we said last week and we've said it before, the Holy Spirit advocates God's love and truth to you and me. The Holy Spirit is concerned with, with, with aligning your will and your desire to that of God and empowering your will and actions to the glory of God. So to say that we are concerned with the same thing the Holy Spirit is, this is what we're talking about. We are preoccupied with the same thing that preoccupies Him. And now, over the next two weeks, next week, uh, Lachansky's teaching, and then I'll be back the week after that, we get to be a lot more specific about what those things are, which is really fun. We get to be more specific about, about what it is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. But I'll give you a hint right now. I'll give you a, one of the hints. It has to do with the love, power, and favor of God. So something fun over the next couple of weeks that we get to dig into even more. But we're talking a little bit more generalized today. So, so again, we see setting our mind on the Spirit. And then we also see setting our mind on the flesh. And to define the flesh for us, I like how Timothy Keller defined this. He says, it is the desires and would-be dictates of our senses, a worldview that is worldly rather than godly, a self-centered worldview rather than Christ-focused. So that's, that's what setting our minds on the things of the flesh looks like, is concerned with the worldly instead of the eternal, is concerned with, you know, with, with, with me instead of the purpose of Christ. 
This matters because whatever we set our minds on controls us. Whatever we set our minds on controls us. And, and this is, you know, this is God's concept, but the world knows it. I, I read a book years ago called Executive Toughness, and it is a very kind of just kind of rooted in worldly wisdom. It's, it's a great kind of leadership book, but it's, it's very much like just worldly practices. But it talks about the dominant thought theory. And it's like you know, the, the simple statement of that is that that which is focused most on in the mind will only grow in the mind. That which is dominant will only become more dominant. So it's a common concept to, to say, again, what you set your mind on controls you, but let's go ahead and get to the roots of it. Because um, we see here in verse 6 that it tells us that one preoccupation, that the, the one preoccupation leads to death and one leads to life and peace. So we see all throughout Scripture these exhortations to set your mind on the things above. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see this great contrast in James 1.15 of, of this. We see this picture of the life not given, of the mind not given to God. We see what happens, 1.15 of James. Then desire when it has conceived, the mind gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so we see how just that which we give our mind to controls us so as we as we as we look at this do you hear the tense not like tension but like the tense present past future of what paul is talking about do you hear this so although our our promise in christ is is very much future and eternal that's a glorious hope that we have it's it's also very present it is right here and now and over and over again, you get to see in these motifs of God, this, these, these great pictures of the transcendent God that has become imminent. Much like this hope that we have this far off hope that, that, that gives meaning to life. It gives hope in hearts and it gives, uh, it gives us fortitude and perseverance because we, we know again that, uh, like, like what Paul says later on, actually maybe next week or the week after, that I do not consider this present suffering worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Like again, this idea of like, like a short term suffering for, for, for long-term gain, right? So we see that, but it's very much in this present tense as well. We think about why God created us. God created us to live in relationship with Him. And as we do that, as we live in that relationship, God intends that we would flourish. And it's not just a flourish that is yet to come. He intends for us to flourish in this world that we would enjoy knowing Him as we live in this world. And again, yes, the fall sin has made that difficult. Again, as we go back through Romans 7 and up through the beginning of Romans 8, like it's all about this turmoil, this battle that we have with the flesh. And as we long for God, as our will and our desires have been transformed, we still contend with flesh and we still, and we still live amongst a world of, of, of brokenness and hurt. And, we, and, it, and, the, and sometimes we inflict the violence, sometimes the violence is inflicted upon us and we see the hardship, but yet this flourishing is not just far off, it is now. So there's this very present tense as we live in relationship with God that it is meant to be a flourishing relationship and something that we experience the goodness of. So when our minds are not set on this, you know, to just think of the implications, think of all the havoc that must come to be when we're not when our minds are not set and when they're not preoccupied with what preoccupies God conflict we enter into conflict 
both internally and with others. Again, what was the promise of living by the Spirit? Life and peace. So conflict instead of peace. We, enter, we, we put the shackles back on and we enter back into bondage instead of freedom when we don't set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We, we accept death instead of life. Again, the promise of setting your minds on the things of the Spirit is the experiencing of life and peace. So when we set our minds on the things of the flesh, we experience the opposite. So, so to maybe illustrate this to help, let's think of kind of any negative emotion, right? And, and I say any, I'm going to pick one. Um, I'm not, so, but again, emotions are good and positive and negative. But let's just play it out. So let's take loneliness, for instance. It's a pretty, pretty prevalent negative emotion that a lot of us feel. And, and, and so, we, so loneliness is this, this negative emotion that we feel at times. And, and, and thinking about this, it is natural to desire relationship. And, and, and it's even right to say that people need people around us. We need people to care for us as well as to care for. I mean, re, again, the desire for relationship, which is often, is, is again, what loneliness comes from, it, it's created in us. It emulates our God. It comes from our God first. God exists in relationship as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. God is a relational God. He created us. He created us for His purpose, but He created us out of love for relationship. Adam, before the fall, when he was alone and God was creating everything, He finally created Eve. And again, imperfection, in perfection, Adam said basically at last what I've been looking for. There was a sense of satisfaction in that earthly relationship. Relationship is good. Again, thinking about the, the, the definition of Christian itself, it's a paradox to say that there is a, a, there is a Christian who lives alone. To say, oh, I'm good, I don't need anybody. That defies the very definition. We are, we are saved into a family. We're saved unto Christ, but we're saved into a family. So there's no such thing as a Christian living in isolation. It's paradoxical. And to think about the fullness of Christ. We experience the power, wisdom, and the fullness of Christ in and through Christ's community. We don't just gather because we're supposed to. We don't just gather to get the tick on our, on our holiness belt. We gather because the world needs to see Jesus as we gather, because we express Him greater. We also gather because it's part of our experiencing the fullness of joy. So again, relationship is good and the need for it is good. And we all feel it when we are lacking in some way the experience of deep, caring relationships. That's a good thing. It's meant to pull us first to God the Father and then to one another. But if that loneliness, if that sense of, of lacking relationship becomes a cause for hopelessness and it becomes the thing that defines our worth, it's, it's, it's because... I've forgotten that God has adopted me as His own. It's, it's because I've forgotten that He did that at great expense to Himself in the giving of His only Son. What are the lies we believe when we're lonely? It's, a, it's about our worth. It's about our belonging. And so, when we think, it's because we, we, we have forgotten that very truth. And there's no greater worth than a holy God being willing to give His only Son. 
hopeless loneliness is forgetting the things of the Spirit. Identity-defining loneliness has forgotten whose I am in Christ. Adopted as sons and daughters next week. So good. To set our minds on the things of the Spirit is to rest in the fact, especially let's think of this case, that I am my beloved's and he is mine. And that my worth, my worth demanded a king's ransom. So in the experiential sense, maybe that helps you see why it is so important what we give our minds to, what we set our minds to. It's, pa- it's not passive, it's active. So when we think about this, this makes verses 7 and 8 bring so much more force in. They're already forceful. I mean, they are short, they're stark. I wouldn't say they're sweet. They're forceful. Let, let me just read them again real quick. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. There is no such thing as an ambivalent mind. You may think so. You may think you're just kind of like floating around and like whatever happens, happens, and you'll just kind of deal with things as they come. But in the sense of what matters, in the sense of what we are being exhorted to here as people redeemed by a holy God, as a people who created for His purpose and now living unto Him, there's no such thing as an ambivalent mind. A mind there's no such thing as a neutral mind. The affections of our mind are binary. One or the other. You cannot love one preoccupation without rejecting the other. So just as much as Romans 8.4 was a declarative identity statement, kind of to the positive, this is another declarative identity statement describing the enemy of God. The enemy is one who is outside of God's favor. The enemy is one who does not, sum, does not submit to God's law because it cannot, as we just saw. It, 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 it recalls Ephesians 2, 1-3, where we hear that we are, we are dead in our sin, part of the rebel camp. We are living as a part of, of the rebel camp of the, of the enemy. So we see this, this identity there, like 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that's the person not redeemed by Christ, not given new name, new life, supernatural new life in Christ, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that's what we see being described here is this, this person that, is, that does not know, this person that is still dead in their sin, unable to revive, them, revive themselves, the person whose mind is still dormant and rebellious to God that is still hostile. Verse 8 seems like more bad news, but, but I think if you read it correctly, it's actually a hint of good news. It says, cannot please God. They do not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. To to, to do that would be, again, in the favor of God. How do we know God's favor? What is God's favor? God's favor, again, is that 
not that things would just go well in this life, not that we would be successful, not that we would be stress-free. It is the ultimate sense. That is what God is concerned with. It is, it is that God's favor is that we would find that we would find ourselves pleasing before Him, redeemed, restored, our debt paid, once again in relationship with Him. This only happens through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So to say that it cannot is because this work has not been done yet in us. So we see what we see in these verses is a contrast of the life lived according to the flesh, set their minds on the flesh, according to the Spirit, set their minds on the Spirit. It is, it is literally the life that is belonging to Christ and the life not belonging to Christ. Let's continue looking at verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact, so there again, we makes it really clear. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, speaking to those who have called on Christ, who have surrendered and trusted, trusted their salvation in Christ. If in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So as I said, Paul starts by making it really clear that the life he was describing in verses 5 through 8 is the life of the one not set free and redeemed by Christ. It's the one who lives according to the flesh because that's all that they have. Paul is saying to you, if you are a Christ follower today, he's saying it does not have to be this way. He's saying, remember, you have been set free from that, from that toiling. You've been set free from, from that futility. And saying, so now, do not return. It doesn't have to be that way. And a matter of fact, it should not be that way. It should not be the way that, we should not be able to describe the life of, of someone who is in Christ as any of these things, hostile to God, setting their minds on the things of the flesh. It is saying, you've been set free from that. You've been made new. You've been given a new name. So therefore, it does not have to be, and it should not be. You should not be controlled by the flesh. You don't because you're freed from the flesh. You should be controlled by the Spirit. And if you're not a Christ follower, again, if you're here, maybe you're coming with a friend or you're kicking the tires or just kind of curious, seeking out, guess what the message is for you? Paul is saying something very similar. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. You can be free. Hear the invitation and the promise today. Your futility can be done. Your fear, your, 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 your weight can be lifted. Your hope can be real. Verse 10 tells us that the work of Christ has ushered in the source of life for you and me. The Holy Spirit the source of life. Again, this should call us back to Romans 7 and, and Romans 8. Although we're not ruled by sin in the flesh any longer, we, we still battle because it's still alive. Our bodies go on. Although our sin has brought the, the demand of physical death for our bodies in this life, our mind and the Spirit shall be free. Our conscience should be free because of Jesus. This is, again, the experience of the freedom that is in Christ. 
So there's a principle and a promise here. As we look at verses 10 and 11, the principle is that our, our, our spirits, our minds, should not follow our flesh. That's this exhortation. Again, we contend with the flesh, and it's, and it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty big adversary. It's hard. Like Again, I, I'm so grateful for what Paul wrote in Romans 7 of just saying, hey, I battle with this to the point that I get exasperated and don't understand how I continue to stumble and fall because I truly desire the glory of God and His goodness in my life. Like, so our flesh is real, and it's going to, it's going to pull against us. It's going to, to try to lead us astray. And Paul is saying, like, don't let your spirits, don't let your minds follow your flesh. They belong to God. So the promise here we see in, in, in verse 11, let me read that. Um, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This promise is twofold, right? Coming back to something we were talking about earlier, it's present. We can live with a sense of victory and freedom now as we live, setting our minds on the things of the spirit, knowing that we are free, redeemed, renewed, restored because the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the one who is in us. Who is the one who is in us. So it's very present. We can live with this sense and experience of victory and freedom, but it's also future. Our bodies, our flesh, our bodies, not flesh in the sense we've been talking about of this sinful nature, but our flesh and very real, our mortal bodies will follow, will die one day. But here's the promise. So just as now he's saying, don't let your spirits, your minds follow your flesh. The day is coming when your flesh will follow your spirit. When Christ returns and the dead in Christ rise again and we are fully restored and all is made new, the glorious promise is both present and future. So although the day of ultimate hope is coming, we still battle the flesh it's always against the flourishing work of God and our continuing work of, of the sanctifying of our spiritual lives. God is transforming us. He's, he's making us new. He's set apart and he set, he set us apart and He's setting us apart. So that brings us to, to our last couple of verses, Romans 8, 12-13. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, although you may, although if you are in Christ, you are, you, again, you can never enter back into condemnation and you have the promise of eternal life that is sealed in you by the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantor of that promise. We can experience a life as though we are dead. We can experience, like I said at the beginning, we can experience a life as though we are back in bondage if we give ourselves to the things of the flesh. But if, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we see this so then. It's here referring to the, the truth that we have this Spirit dwelling in us because of the redeeming work of Christ. Because of this, we owe nothing to the sin and flesh any longer. Our debt has been paid. We are now hopeless and bound to, to live according to the flesh. We are, we are not hopeless and bound. Let's say it that way. 
It's much better. We are not hopeless any longer. We're not bound to live according to the flesh. We are not destined to death. So again, we are free. Instead, you are equipped to fight. Do you see this? You're equipped to fight. And that's this charge here. We're, we're told to put to death the works of the flesh. The deeds of the body. And see, so you see, you're not just equipped to fight. You're commanded to fight some of your lives. I watched this show called Suits. Anyone else? Yeah. It's this show about this like high-powered law firm, corporate law firm in New York City. And, oh, and one of the things they, they say a lot when they're stepping into negotiating something, they say, never negotiate from a position of weakness. Always negotiate from a position of strength. And, I, and, and when I was kind of sitting in this, I just, it just popped into my head because I just thought, man, we as Christ followers, those who are in Christ, who are, again, I, I know I've been just harping on this, but I feel like we need to because we forget, but those who are redeemed, victorious, new, adopted as sons and daughters, all that we are in Christ, we forget that. And instead of, and, I, and when we think about engaging the sin in our lives, I feel like we, we too often enter in as if we have a position of weakness. And, and to think about like the, the denial that, that, that is being said when, when we have that posture, because our standing before God, is, as we said before, is secure in Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit. Again, we have the Holy Spirit, the same one that raised him from the dead, has been given to us. We're not the underdog. We're to fight from a position of power. We're fighting as the victorious ones. We're to go on the offensive. Like, not just wait, like, but to go on the offensive. And to put to death is to, to, to be ruthless in it. This, this Greek word, put to death, is thenatute. And it's this, this idea of it is violent and total. It is violent and total. So, like, it is to totally reject all we know to be wrong. It is to declare war on the attitudes and behaviors that are wrong and that, that go against uh, the proclamations and the commands and the things given that the world would know that God is good and He is loving and He is holy and He is true. And when we, as those who are redeemed, give space for that, that as His ambassadors, as His offspring, what are we saying? So we should be aggressive. We should go on the offensive. We should, we, should, we should fight. Declare war. We're not to play games with sin. You know, I just think of conversations that I've had and like, we, we don't wean ourselves off of sin. We don't wean ourselves off of something we know that, that, that denies or or diminishes the flourishing goodness of God being expressed in and through us. Experiencing the flourishing goodness of God. We don't wean ourselves off of it. If we recognize it, get aggressive. And this is not legalism. It's not works-based. It is, again, live free because you are free. You don't embrace the lie that you can control it. You can't. Surrender it. Avoid the things that are sin. The things that lead to you sin to your sin, if it's questionable, don't mess around. And for a season, until you know whether it's it is or isn't, just stay away from it. Rest under grace, right? Remember, 
by grace. There is grace in this. Revel in the completed work of Christ that he did, that he did what you couldn't do. And then pick up your sword and fight like crazy with all that you are against sin. So we're going to close with this. Putting to death the deeds of the body is part of setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Do you hear that? So if you want to set your minds on the things of the Spirit, part of that is putting to death the things of the flesh. Freedom and joy are in that. As we just saw, Paul turns, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh. Paul means, what he means is that if we remember what Christ has done and will do for us, we will fill not the obligations, the debt to the flesh, but we will fill the obligations of love and gratitude to serve and know him. Paul is saying that, that, that sin can only be cut off at the root if we expose ourselves constantly to the unimaginable love of Christ for us. Expose, be vulnerable. We talked a lot with... We sat together last night at uh, one of our missions dinners with uh, Bo Abdullah, who leads Love People Not Pixels, and we're talking about um, how um, pornography um, is connected to human trafficking. And but we just, we're talking a lot about the like if we want to see true freedom, a big part of that is vulnerability, and, and inviting people in, and, and trusting the the grace of God expressed in Christ as we can bring our sin to the light. Not just to God, but also amongst one another. And so, so as I see, you know, thinking about um, the kind of the our, kind of exposing ourselves one, over and over again, constantly to the unimaginable love of Christ, we also need to do that together. Again, we don't have to share with every one of us, but again, having those those few that we that we invite in, and we find ourselves before the throne of grace together and vulnerability, and trusting Him. And as we do that, that exposure to God's love, it stimulates a wave of gratitude and this feeling of indebtedness. Again, we can never repay. We can never repay what He has done. But yet, this gratitude lives to a life that is joyfully offering up, a life pursuing holiness and obedience. You know, we think about sin, it only grows in the dark, and it grows when we have a sense of entitlement, that we are owed something. We end up saying things like, you know, I'm not getting, I'm not getting my chance, I'm not getting a fair shake, I'm not getting my needs met, and I've had a hard life, you know, I, 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 I should have a card to play, like, my life has been hard, like, what would you expect? God owes me, people owe me. I owe me. That's, that's the heart attitude of oldness, <laughs> you know, of entitlement. And that's where sin grows. But Paul says, you must remind yourself that you are a debtor. And if you bathe yourself in the remembrance of the grace of God, that will loosen, it will weaken and it will kill sin at the motivational level, at the root. And, and this brings us once again back to the importance of, of speaking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
to your own heart and minds every day. Um, a few weeks back in April, uh, April the 8th, we did uh, the sermon on Romans 6, 11 through 14. And, and really, this is just a reiteration. I, I really could have probably taught a very similar sermon. But the, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you have not. And if you did listen to it, go back and think on it. Because we got pretty practical about how do we root out idols in our lives? How do we root out sin in our lives? How do we focus? How do we set our hearts and minds on God? Um, and so I would, you know, for some pr- more practical aspects, I would say go back and listen to that. But that's our invitation. We must dwell on the goodness of God expressed in Christ. Whenever we see things that are anything less than God's flourishing goodness, we need to ask, what are we turning to other than the completed work of Christ for this? What are we denying? What are we clinging to that, w- that we think we are owed? Just know, in Christ, you are free. In Christ you are free. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit, and you will experience that freedom that is already yours in Him. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll uh, observe communion. God, you are good, and I thank you for this truth. I thank you that we are free in Christ, and Lord, you have shown us the way in which we can experience that freedom So, Lord, show us what it is to set our our hearts and our minds on the things of the Spirit as those who are of the Spirit. Lord, if anyone in here does not know Christ, has not found that freedom, I pray, Lord, that that there would just be a wooing to your love. Lord, a clarity to see your goodness. And, Lord, a freedom as they surrender. And I pray that we would all surrender daily and reminding ourselves of the glorious work of Christ achieved in us for your glory. We continue to worship now through communion. We pray all this in Jesus' name.